he's coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got Matt Tate joining the show at 340. Kevin Flaherty will join us at 440. We've got some... Um, Audio to get to you on today's show from KU Football and uh, plenty of other fun stuff going on throughout today's show. The college football world is ablaze today. We have the Idaho Potato Bowl going on. <laughs> That's always fun. And uh, everybody, it seems like every coach right now is is talking about tampering in the transfer portal. Yeah, that seems to be a hot button issue. So first, the discussion that was like, well, should the NCAA consider rescheduling all of their stuff that goes on in December? Because it's like, you know, you have bowl season, you have the transfer portal window opens, you have recruiting, all that kind of stuff. So that was a discussion. And then now, obviously, some smaller coaches are pushing back and saying, we're getting tampered with. We had uh, Mac Brown saying that there have been offers that were made um, for Drake May. You had Pat Narduzzi, the Pittsburgh head coach, saying that he said or, or saying that he heard two schools offered Drake May five million dollars to transfer. You have um the UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer saying he's got, you know, paperwork, basically a paper trail of evidence on some other schools that they're gonna get in trouble. And, and there's other stories that haven't gone as public. There was some, I don't know, Minnesota K State rumors last year that I, I don't know how much those substantiate. So like and I'm sure this is happening at like every school across the country. Oh yeah, in one way or another, either oh, they're yeah. getting tampered with, they're tampering with somebody else, and or that, both, probably both. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what honestly makes it so that a lot of these schools are probably being quiet, and that they probably see some of their guys are getting tampered with, but they're like, well, shoot, we kind of tampered with somebody else too. So like, I'm yeah. not gonna, you know, I, I'm not gonna like tattle. Like, <laughs> I, I did the same thing on somebody else's kid. Right? It's a, it's a house of cards, Derek. So uh, it's certainly interesting, and uh, right now it seems kind of like a. a the wild west i guess in that regard but it's like what i don't know what you're supposed to do about it you know what i mean like how do you you properly the ncaa hasn't done anything no and they're not going to do anything no again the only way that you can fix this is by literally having the schools or the conferences or the ncaa or somebody paying the players to where you can have it on the books as a salary cap and you can keep it like you can keep track you can keep track of it yeah Yeah. otherwise i don't know what else you're supposed to do i really don't no 100 percent agree all right, uh, KU takes down Indiana on Saturday. We talked plenty about it on yesterday's show. Just some more takeaways and, and things to talk about from the game. Yeah, Indiana sucks, and KU's winning the national championship. <laughs> uh, I guess that was that was your resolution from, from yesterday's show. <laughs> KJ Adams starts the game out hot. I think he had like seven points through the first few minutes of the game. He had that steal and the, the run through and the eventual bucket for, for KU's first points. At, at this point, would you be surprised... If KJ isn't the starter for the whole season, obviously minus injury or something. Yeah, I mean, like I I actually I feel like the answer is yes here that he is going to be the guy for the rest of the season. Bill self trusts him, and nobody uh, again. 
like we've had this discussion before. Like I think we both didn't expect guys like Ernest or Zuby to just come out first game of the season and just be dominant, you know, impact guys, right? But I think we both were on the same page in terms of we expected that one of or both of those guys would have shown enough of a flash to be like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy's going to be a major player. Like, he's coming, like, obviously he's progressing, whatever, right? We haven't really seen that. We certainly haven't seen it from Ernest Uday. And Zuby, uh, I was going to bring this up to you, that might have been his best game against Indiana, was it not, of the season? I think it was, for sure. So maybe he kind of, maybe now that changes the discussion a little bit to where he is in that conversation more. But, yeah, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't play KJ as a starter the rest of the season, right? Unless you literally run into a Oscar Shibway or a Carl Brenner. you from do Creighton. in like a month. Well, yeah. I, well I, but I guess like in the tournament is mm-hmm. what I'm – all of all of my headspace right now is, with the, is thinking about the tournament with this discussion. But I guess even then, if that does happen, should you play it as, hey, we should curtail to what they're doing or should you just be like, no, this is what we've exactly. been best like, at? Exactly, like KJ is going to be faster than any other – Big like if like for instance Oscar Shibway or Carl Brenner from Creighton whatever, or a Zach Eady from Purdue like you're gonna be giving up a lot of size and probably that you're you're gonna be giving up some easier buckets, but you should be able to take advantage with the speed of KJ and the athleticism of KJ right? I mean I guess that's I guess that is that kind of what you're getting at there? Yeah, basically play to your strengths as opposed yeah. to playing to somebody else's strength. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Now maybe one of those centers can still emerge and there's still plenty of time for that. But I think everything that we talked about before the season that, or even through the start of the season when KJ was starting early in the year was, yeah, he'll be the, the, the guy for now, but once we get to Big 12 play, once exactly. we get to February, it'll be somebody else. Like, can KJ be a Band-Aid, basically, for the first month and a half or so of the season? But now we're looking the the past you know few games, KJ's played very well, and we're one game away from Big 12 play, and none of those centers have emerged. Exactly. Except for... Maybe I guess maybe Zuby. Yes. What he did against Indiana, but what he did against Indiana is not a. Oh my God, this guy needs to start. Get him on the floor. You right. Know what I mean, now maybe if Zuby strings this together for I don't know three four weeks of play, then maybe we can have another conversation. And if there's things that that start to struggle for KJ, then yeah, that, that can kind of add then, up. Even then, even then, I feel like KJ's in a position where, let's say Zuby does emerge as the five guy, then I think you get to this to the standpoint of, well, KJ is now going to be the four and fill in for Jalen Wilson to give him a breather. That's that's my that's my anticipation. Well, I definitely think if it did get to a point where, yeah, KJ is no longer the starting center, he would be filling in as backup center and a backup four. I do agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, but I just I, I don't think it's going to happen because even if that, that play emerges, I think you've seen enough from KJ. He's going to continue to have a high role and probably be a starter. It's just a question if at this point one of those other centers can emerge as far as being – the guy who maybe he's not a starter, but yeah, he could still be playing fifteen to twenty minutes per game. Yeah, exactly, like like Bobby. He could still be closing the game. Yeah. Yes, exactly, just like Bobby. Yep. And that has not really been emerged yet. And and as much as Zuby was the first big off the bench, he was the only big off the bench in the first half. Uh, the first shot of the game, he tried to lay it in when he should have dunked it. Outside of that, he was great. He dunked everything. He yep. was getting rebounds. He was a rim protector inside. There were a couple times when he kind of sealed off the the center to allow for a driving lane for one of his players. Like you said, probably his best game. My worry here, though, is that like I don't want to do the thing of like, oh, Zuby played a good game. Is that all of a sudden a trend now that he's going to be the the guy, is the other center? Because we've done that with Ernest Duday. <laughs> um, 
we haven't really done that with Zach Clemens or Cam Martin because there hasn't been enough time, or in Zach's case, hasn't had the success of it. Yeah. But like, I think we've we've seen enough so far this season that one guy will play a good game, and then all of a sudden the next game, it's a different center who's the first big off the bench. Yeah, I do think though, with a lot of what Bill Self's comments have been about the situation, where he has said he, I mean, he has said multiple times on record, "Hey, I'd rather have one reliable guy than four semi-reliable guys," basically, right? So I think kind of the reverse of that is if one guy does string together like two or three good games, he could easily just become the guy, I think, because that's what Bill Self wants. He has, he has, he has said that's what he wants. He said, I, want, I would rather have one really reliable guy than four guys that I'm not sure about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I guess like – Maybe because we had kind of heard that the Zuby was was playing well in practice leading up and then backed it up with that game in a big game where it wasn't just a game against some lower tier opponent and you're playing an all American big man. Maybe it does mean more of what he did, and maybe he will be still continue to have that role. But if he struggles against Harvard and Ernest Duhe comes in and he doesn't, then Yeah, then you're again exactly No, I agree. It is So I guess my point is that like it is kind of this cyclical thing it's where a wait you and see just game. go back to square one. Yes. Right. Now, if he backs it up and has another good game against Harvard, okay, now you're starting to trend something. Yeah. You do it again against Oklahoma State, okay, maybe we'll have a conversation about it. Well, and we touched on this a little bit yesterday, but it actually kind of feels like the roles, barring injury for KU, the roles personnel-wise are pretty much set, right? Like, there's, there's not very many questions to be answered at this point. Like, I think the only other questions you have are, who's the second big guy? And is it Joe or MJ as your next score? Yes. Everybody else, all the other, everybody else is pretty much set. Yeah. Right. Like the starting lineup feels set. Like we said yep. with KJ, even if he eventually wasn't the starter for that center, he's still going to play a role. He'll be yep. part of that rotation. Bobby but is set. I do in think his he'll role. be? Yeah. And Bobby played great against Indiana, so that yep. was nice to see. But and yeah, he's, he's going to be. Bobby's going to be a twenty to twenty-five minute a game guy. I think every single game, assuming he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. And in games he's playing well, he could be in the closing lineup. Joe Yesifu right now has to have the edge on MJ Rice, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't say that with a lot of confidence, but yeah. I I guess. I I mean, I don't I don't know. Are you do you confidently think that he he's ahead of him? I mean, yes, I feel confident that he's ahead of him now. Am I confident that he will be ahead of him in a month? No. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Joe Joe played real minutes. He played, I mean, not like a side like but what, seven, minutes seven minutes against Indiana. MJ didn't come in until the final two or three minutes, and, and Joe's minutes came. No, MJ was in with the walk. In real time. MJ yeah. was in with the walk. Exactly. MJ was in, he was in when they had, it was like Cam Martin, Zach Clements, Ernest, MJ, and I don't even know, somebody, like they had like four bigs on the floor. That was the lineup MJ was in there on. So you want to you wanna extrapolate anything from that? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> they want to do the opposite of that. I want to forget about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, MJ playing he, – he's played six minutes the last two games. Yeah. And that's with a bunch of time off in between games when you would think that as yeah. a young player it allow for you to have more time to, to get comfortable with the system and the scouting report and everything. So I don't know what to think there, whereas with Joe he played seven against Indiana, 15 against Missouri. So clearly he is ahead of him right now. But, yeah, I mean, wouldn't be shocking at all if, if MJ worked in front of him. I, I think is it is it required that MJ in, ends up being ahead of Joe for KU to be 
the best iteration of what we think they can be? That's a good question. I don't think it's required, but I think it – see, I don't know. But <laughs> here's the problem. I can see you're trying to think of the right word well, for it. Uh, the the problem I'm having in my head in in trying to figure out how to explain this is that if it's if it's Joe getting more playing time just because neither are doing anything that's bad that is bad <laughs> but if Joe is getting more playing time than MJ because he's hitting a bunch of shots then I don't think it matters whether it's Joe or MJ now if if that's not happening with Joe hitting a bunch of shots then yes it would be more beneficial long term because MJ is just I mean he's a wing he could play more positions provides a bunch of athleticism, he can go hunt his shot. Yeah, I mean, MJ MJ could feasibly come in for three of your starters, right? I mean, you, yes. could, you, you could sub him in for Jalen, yeah. Brady, or Kevin McCullough. Whereas, like, with Joe, I mean, you could put him in a point guard, but that's not really his forte. It's like he's mainly just a two. Yeah. And that limits kind of the different styles you want to play, where exactly what you said with MJ Rice, you can play him in a bunch of different positions and not really skip a beat in terms of what you're doing. So I guess from that standpoint, yeah. Um, and if KU is going to continue to switch on everything defensively, which they have done so far this season, MJ's six five six six. Joe is what six six one. I don't even know what he's maybe. I, I think he's listed. He's I think he's listed at six one. But eh, I don't know on that one. <laughs> There's always the you college call, measurements. You you call you calling that one into question? I, a little bit into question. Is, is that the Kevin Durant six eight? Thing. Listen, I don't want to get in trouble here. I remember Devon Dotson was like listed at six two, and I remember uh, <laughs> some former guests and members of this show had an argument about whether he was actually six two or like five eleven. <laughs> and he, Devon Dotson, was not happy with it and climbed into some DMs about that. Really? Yes. So, uh, oh boy, I don't want to get in trouble here. Um, but hey, it doesn't matter. Joe Yesu was like a forty five inch vertical, so it, it, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It plays out. Um, but yeah, I think what, right now Joe's ahead of. What's of your vertical there? I've never actually tested it, but I can't imagine it would be good. The okay. joke is, uh, was I have credit ca- credit card hops? I can jump over a credit card. Ah, that's clever. I never heard that before. <laughs> you that's never clever. heard that. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think I can get past ten inches. I would hope you can get past ten <laughs> inches. <laughs> What's yours? I mean, do you know? I, I I don't know. We should do I a combine. Say, I will say. Okay. Do you remember in? You may not remember this, but well, you might actually. In middle school. Middle school gym class usually they had like those little, they're like the where you'd sit down and you'd stretch your toes and they would mark off like how flexible you were. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, on that I had the lowest flexibility score of my entire gym class. <laughs> In the entire class? Yes. And you're like a skinny guy. Usually you think of when you know. No, because you would be I, very I, flexible. No, I have short arms. I have short arms and longer. That legs. shouldn't be knocked against you. Why does that not come into count for? flexibility tests well no you know no, so you put your feet you know what i'm talking about though you put yeah your no feet, i do i and then I'm, you bend I'm over and stretch you. forward i'm saying that they should take into you know the same way that like on, on ken so they should, so i they should take into like account a, some kind of bonus yes yes but so it's they like, should measure my arms and measure everybody else. like because there was another kid in there that was a lot shorter than me but his arms were way longer that dude got like a 20 yes no like like that's what i'm saying like in ken palm it's not just based on your record and how much you're beating teams by it's by the schedule you played. Okay. Your sure. schedule would be a very hard schedule because you have things going against you, right? So that should be accounted uh, for. Sure. Okay. You're I being guess. held back by shorter arms. So you should get a boost in some way. I think it's only fair. I mean, um, I appreciate the support. I don't I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. All I know is I'm I'm not a flexible guy. And I don't think I can jump very high either. Okay. So what would sorry. be your best athletic trait? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I could run like pretty fast. I don't think I could run super fast now. That was not a a confident answer. Well, I can't really. When I was a kid, I ran fast. Well, I mean, what other traits? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not particularly tall. Mm-hmm. Not particularly. I'm not big. I'm a littler per- person. So quickness. I could be pretty shifty, you know? I guess. Okay. Quick. There we go. Okay, there, yeah. Okay. I got heart. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that. You can never measure heart. Love it. <laughs> He is uh, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Matt Tate's going to join the show in about 20 minutes from right now. We uh, will have Kevin Flaherty in the 4 o'clock hour. We've got a very tantalizing, hey, oh, what's going on over it's there. It's going to be so good. Coming up at 4.05. And then uh, we also continue on with our bowl games of KU Football Past. The 2003 Tangerine Bowl is next on the docket. That later in the show, plus some KU Football audio. This is RCST. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, to discuss the ever-changing college landscape. And, you know, there's this bill going through the Senate about should players from the service academies with Army Uh, Having a player who could be drafted, should he be allowed to go straight to the NFL draft or should he have to serve his his time and and service and and the social and political and uh, lifestyle impacts that that could have on on the world at large? Matt, what are your thoughts? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I shouldn't laugh at that, but I, I felt like you were making a uh, a really difficult one for me to react. I was. To, so I uh, had to laugh at you. I wasn't laughing at the seriousness of what you were talking about. So yes. let's uh, let's let's get into more important things okay. that relate to your listeners. And uh, let's let's just let's uh, Derek. Here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna start over. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you one mulligan. You start over. Let's wow. see how it goes. Okay. Go. All right. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to ask the questions now. Like, I am the captain now. Okay, real question, though. Um, Just wanted to keep you on their toes there. There were a lot of big things, obviously, that happened in the Indiana game, just in terms of things you could talk about or take away. Obviously, you beat a really good opponent by 22 points in a game that Jalen Wilson wasn't good. You had 17 steals. There's something you could take away. Grady Dick continues to hit everything. Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller impact the games in so many different ways. K.J. Adams continues to kind of do his thing down low. You actually got bench contributions. Uh, Zuby Edgefer, is he emerging as the guy? Bobby Pettiford plays well. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway in terms of being the most repeatable or or telling the most about what this team is moving forward that you learned from Saturday's game? Yeah, I, you nailed it. I mean, first of all, there was a lot of good things, a lot of things to like. You don't beat a top 15 team without playing pretty well, uh, especially beating them like that. Uh, I, I think the most important thing was the fact that they showed and they now know that even on a day their guy, Jalen, doesn't have it. Four for 18, I think he was. Um, you know, they can win, and they can beat a good team, and they can win big without him. So there, there's some confidence that, that definitely comes from that. But for me, and, and this is a little bit of a, a cheat, I guess, by me, because, you know, we already talked to Coach Self earlier today, and uh, and he got into this, and, and he – partially got into it because I asked him about it. But but I really think the defense is, is the thing that showed there. I think that talking to self after that game against Indiana, I 
he didn't really he didn't really back this up today. But I got a sense Saturday that he is as high on this defense on December twentieth as he has been on any defense in a long time. There have been better defensive teams. There have been teams that, that had more of a foundation by this point, and you knew they were going to be better. Um, but, but in the context of what this team is and, and where they started and where they're going and where they want to get, I, I think this defense has really made moves in the last three, four weeks to, uh, to, to, to be a defense that can be disruptive and can win you games and also probably exceeded his expectations of how fast they could get to this point. Um, again, that's kind of putting words in his mouth, and he didn't really back that up today, but – I just got that sense talking to him on Saturday, and and I think I get that sense just watching this team. I mean, I I don't know that it's, to answer your question, I don't know that it's the most repeatable um, because you're not going to have a team go out there and and, and rip off 17 steals again very often. Um, But I do think now the light bulb comes on. They see that if we play that way, we can be a type of team that, that easily gets into the double digits in that department and that leads to easier buckets and that leads to, you know, bigger runs and momentum swings and all that stuff. And so I think that, you know, I I think that if you're asking to repeat the 17 or 18 steals or whatever, that's probably not quite going to happen. But I think to play that style, to be turned up, to be aggressive and, and create havoc like that for your opponent, I think this team can repeat this, that. I think they should aspire to do so. And if I, I think if they do, they're going to be really tough to beat. Okay, uh, defensively, I mean, I, I don't know if, if you would pick the duo of Kevin McCuller and, and Dewan Harris or, or somebody else. I, I feel like that's the obvious one, but I don't know, KJ Adams or something. Is this one of the best KU duos of defenders in the Bill Self era? Or is it the best? Not the best, um, but but... Yeah, gosh, it's hard to say. It's hard to not say one of the best. Well, because it's easy um, to be like, well, Jeff Withy's the best defender, or Marcus Gary. But when you add in both with McCuller and Dewan Harris, right. it's, it's 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 a little closer. It is, you know. Okay, so we're gonna have to say, you know, to complete this this portion, we're we're gonna have to say, and maybe you'd get some some pushback on this, but I don't I don't know that you get much. I think we're going to have to say that, that Udoka and Marcus Garrett on the 2019-20 team is the best. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you, you legitimately had the best defensive player in the country in Garrett, and you had another guy on his team that played a totally different style defensively who could have also possibly won that award, whether it was Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year or even National Player of the Year defensively. You know, if, if Garrett didn't exist, Doke, Doke might have been that guy, right? And that so so that has to be that has to be the top. Um, but again, that's a big and a and a, and a guard. Um, this is different, and and I think that when you consider that Dewan Harris is quickly playing his way into the conversation of you know best individual defenders KU's had and still has a lot of time to, to further state his case and, and cement that title. Um, and, and, you know, I don't say that lightly. You know, you, 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 you're the same way, I'm sure. But Marcus Garrett is one of my favorite players to ever watch, ever, any sport, any time, ever. 
So to, to throw that around that the Dewan can be in that category and to throw that 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 he could you know push for that title that I think Garrett owns right now is you know that's pretty significant um, because I don't I don't think that that's an easy mountain to climb. Garrett was unbelievable, but um, you know Dewan's in that conversation and you know he's one of the best already. So when you start there. And then you throw a guy like McCullough in who just continues to get more comfortable day by day, week by week. He looks like he's really hit his stride here. He looks like he, he gets what they want to do defensively. He, he looks like he's confident on the offensive end, which also carries over to his defense. I mean, there's just a lot to like about the way he's playing overall, and, and that makes him a better defensive player too. So, yeah, man, I mean, those two guys, like you probably could fairly comfortably put them in the top three or four of KU duos under self that, that have, that have been, you know, locked down impact defenders like that. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe another one would be Russell Robinson and Mario Chalmers. Um, if you talk to self, he'll tell you a thousand times over how, you know, Mario was so good anticipating passing lanes and that kind of thing, but he wasn't that great of an on the ball defender, but, but he did everything else so well that, and he had long arms and, and he just was a gamer that, you know, he, he got a, a probably slightly better reputation as a great defensive player than maybe he actually was. Um, but, you know, the proof's in the pudding. He made plays defensively and he, and he, and he delivered a lot on that end. So it's hard to not, not say he deserved it. So, um, but other than that, that group or, or that duo and, and then Doak and, and Garrett, I, I don't, I don't immediately think of another one that's, uh, it's quite there. You're right. With the and Cole, you probably have to think about guys that they played with um, because they were just such nasty impact defenders, um, you know, protecting the rim. So I don't know if that wasn't exactly your question, but, but we could probably spend the rest of the, the rest of the segment here on just talking about that, that the past duos or, 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 you know, teammates that were, that were really good defensively. But I, again, I'm going to let you take over mm-hmm. from here. So <laughs> I will shut up now. No, uh, how about we, how about we do this? How about we build, <laughs> Um, we can do it together. We can do it against each other. I don't care. Uh, all-time KU defensive team under Bill Self. Love it. Love it. Um, wow. Okay. See, okay, so here's the tough part in this, is that you could argue that, like, of, I don't know, if you ranked out individually, like, the five greatest Bill Self defenders, I don't know, like, three of the five might be centers. But if you're building a team, right? you can't, you know, I'm not going to play Jeff Withy next to Udoka Azubuki. That's just, like, asking for problems. Put Cole at the three. <laughs> right. I guess that was kind of the closing right. lineup yeah. uh, against Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, they, <laughs> that was something to see. It was uh, it was who uh, Zach and Cam and and Ernest. Yeah. Right? All out there together. That yeah. That was that was pretty weird. Um. But no. Yeah. You're right. I see what you're saying. So um, and and, and that's tough. That's a whole other debate unto itself. I mean, you'd have been hard pressed to convince me when Cole Aldrich was doing his thing, that somebody was going to come along that was a better shot blocker. And then not that far down the road, Jeff Withy shows up and all he does is go set the NCAA tournament record ties with Anthony Davis for that. Um, you know, and, and had Cole had a more controlled style of blocking shots and Withy was just flailing, trying to erase your soul with every block. And, and then there was Doak who did the same thing. So yeah, that's tough. Um, but let's, Let's take uh, let's take let's take ten guys, okay. and we'll do it that way. We'll do a first five and a second five, and so those three are all on there. Okay, and we don't need to. You know, we'll just play. 
we'll play matchups, we'll play hot hand, we'll play scouting report when we actually are playing with this team. We'll we'll, we'll put them out there because we're good coaches, you and I. So um, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that right now. But first five and second five, like you know, that way you've got the depth and the rotation and all that stuff. So those three are on there. We already know that Garrett's on there. Um, we already know that Dewan is on there. Do you dare put a fourth star uh, with somebody like Joel Embiid or Sasha Khan? I don't know. Man, that's yeah, that's not a bad call. Um, but again, you, I don't know. Maybe that's, you know, that's too much. Yeah, this is a, this is super interesting because I mean, I don't think he would make the team, but you could put a guy like Landon Lucas on that team because yeah. of his the way he defended Great his team position defender. and, and yeah. how. Right, exactly, and and he was a terrific defensive rebounder, and he walled up so well, and people it was hard for people to score on him. He was so smart, so you know he's probably not cracking the the top ten, but you could probably do a list of the top ten centers defensively yeah. under self, and and we're we're probably halfway or over halfway there already. Yeah. So um, I I would but, like to but, nominate. Yeah, I mean, I think Kevin McCuller for sure, and Brandon Rush. Love that. Love both of those. Um, I think McCuller belongs. I mean, the only reason he wouldn't would be if you're just saying he's only done it for mm-hmm. 11 games right now, you know, and yeah, that's fine. But but I think he belongs. I mean, just if you're just talking talent, Rush for sure, Rush for sure. There's uh yeah, there's I mean, as good as he was offensively, and maybe that's why he sometimes doesn't get thought of first as a defender because he was so good offensively too. But he was he was nasty, and and yeah, self will tell you the. The, the the first thing he thinks of on on Brandon Rush is probably his defense. So um, Rush, McCuller, Harris, Garrett. That's four. Yep, and then we got the three uh, the, centers: Withy, Cole, and Doak. So we need three more. There's so that's Russ Rush still out there. There's Chalmers still out there. There's Travis Relliford still out there. You said Landon Lucas. <laughs> there's Joel Embiid, Sasha Khan, uh, Darnell Jackson. I feel like we're missing somebody. Yeah, we. I do too. We we uh, yeah, I do too. Um, but but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Spee, it wasn't Devontae, it wasn't Frank. No, I mean those those guys were great no. offensively. You I know, mean, that's, Selden that's and Wiggins at times could be good defenders because of the athleticism, but I don't think they would go up on that list. No, Relaford's a sneaky good good answer. Right, let's um, put Relaford on there. That, that's a, yeah, that's a sneaky good answer. I, I, I'm glad you thought of him. So that's eight. So yep. we got two more. Um, and I, I don't. I, I mean, I don't think we can walk away from here not saying Russell Robinson. Yeah. I just think that you, you you picture when you picture Russell Robinson, and the the ironic thing about Russ Rob was that he was so much better offensively than most people know, but he didn't need to be, and that wasn't his most important role on on that team and and he understood that and embraced that and and so you know you tend to think of him first as a defender but man he he had some professional games where he went out and scored 20 like it was nothing and he obviously did that in in new york you know uh in high school i mean he was he was a really good all-around player so um but, but but when you picture him that's what you picture right like you you can see him right now picking you up full court down in his stance in your chest, just making your life miserable, and and you know, whichever way you try to go, he's going to be there too. And and so, if that's the kind of guy we're talking about, he's got to be on the list. So, does that make nine? Is he, is he that nine? makes nine. So, uh, some some other, another guy that I, I guess I could toss out there. 
Uh, I think he's kind of in the Mario Chalmers ilk in terms of if you're looking at steals, he's certainly up there, Devon Dotson, but uh, I think some of that was just being a good opportunistic defender. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I think that's, you know, he's not not on the list. He's not not in the conversation, but I don't know that he'd crack the top 10. That's tough. I mean, mm-hmm. he was also same. He's sort of the counter to what we just talked about with Russ. When you think about Devon, I think you think, I think you think offense, right? And a guy who can just sprint up and down the floor and get to the rim and finish and all that. So that's, yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, I, I, I still feel like there's like an era we're missing, right? I know. Um, it's, like, like, it's, it's the wing the position first... specifically that I feel like we're missing out on, right? Like, I don't remember Xavier Henry enough. Was he like a lockdown defender? I, I don't know. No, probably not. Probably not. I mean, yeah, no, that's no, probably not. Um, uh, Nick, think, Nick just I brought up an interesting a... name to me, and I don't know what you think about this one. I can't yeah, get I don't, the. I don't know what you think about this either, but I can't get the the West Virginia game in Morgantown out of my head where Issa Ahmad had like twenty five points. But overall for the season, Josh Jackson was a pretty darn good defender. He was his his be- the beauty of him defensively. I think was that you know he could guard the the seven footer from Baylor, Joe Joe Aquil, or whatever or his name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 he could also guard a point guard, um, you know, and, and do both pretty effectively. I don't. I so the only other one I think of, and I, and I think of this only because of the power of suggestion, and I think I've heard self say this a bunch of times, but hasn't he said Jeff Hawkins is one of the best defenders you're he's right. ever had? You're right. Let's put him on there for the last spot. That'll be perfect. I I think we have to. I mean, like that, you know, and and. You know, Hawk's a great dude, and and he maximized everything he had for sure. Um, you know, and and probably far exceeded what anybody expected him to do at Kansas. But that's that's where he got it done too. Anticipating same concept as 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 Russell. You know, if if you try to cross him over, just like Marcus Garrett. I mean, you try to cross him over, and by the time you finish your crossover and get it to your left hand he's going to be sitting on your left hand with his chest there waiting for you. I mean, like that was, that was Hawkins and he had good hands and he was quick. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I probably wouldn't pick him myself just because, you know, maybe not the biggest role on all those teams, but all the times I think I've heard self talk about this or, or talk about players. Um, he may, he brings him up every time. And so far be it from us with our measly 10 man team to not, to not at least take one of his suggestions. I think he'd be pretty happy with that team, though. I think oh, yeah. I think he I don't think he would give us bad grade at all. I think he would say we passed for sure. But that's a that's a good group, and and the fact that McCuller and Dewan are both on there, um, I think that tells you everything you need to know about the potential for this team. Um, they, they've they've got a lot a lot of potential with two guys like that and we knew that in the summer we talked about it on your show back then even i mean you know it's just now we're seeing it play out and it's actually happening and and that's pretty significant stuff and and i think what what's even more important and, and this sometimes happened to uh to the teams that garrett was on but occasionally that stuff would rub off on other guys and and the the the, the talent around them would elevate their game defensively because they were just inspired or or it was, you know, maybe not even inspired. It was the survival thing. Like, well, if he's going to play his ass off defensively, I better do the same thing. 
or else I'm going to get put on the bench, you know. And and um, th- there's an element of that happening with this group too, I think. And I think that's why you've seen Grady Dick make the moves toward you know improving as a defender. I think that's why Jalen Wilson improves as a defender. I think that that he showed that last year a lot on that team that that. Maybe he's not the best defender for 40 games, you know, 40 minutes a game. But that game point, he's he's going to lock you up, and he's going to give everything he's got, and he's going to be pretty tough to to beat. So um, I, I think that these two guys can make that sort of what this team is known for, and uh, and and no one's going to want to face either one of them. And uh, that gives Kansas an advantage right out of the gate. And, and they're playing as well as they've played. I think, you know, I mean, there have been better teams for sure. But this group has clicked quickly after that Tennessee loss. And um, they, they've figured out how to play, how to play to win, how to play to win this personnel. And, and I think their confidence is sky high right now. I, I, I just think they're – I could be wrong, and I'm sure Self would disagree. But, but I think they're as far along as – as most of his teams have been on December 20th. And uh, they've still got a long way to go and a lot of, a lot of room to improve. But, but they're, they're clicking as well as anybody by this stage, um, as I can remember. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. Have a good uh, Christmas break in between here. And uh, there's a fun, fun segment today. Uh, enjoyed doing that with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for your flexibility. I'm sure you had all kinds of good questions that you were going to make me sound like a fool on. So we at least had some fun, and and uh, you know, I guess I guess you made me sound like a fool with your first question. So the streak continues. You're still you're still alive and well with that. But yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and and uh, we'll see you soon. But yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. All right, check out all Matt's work, KUSports.com, in the LJ world. That's Matt Tate with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. We've got a uh, another edition of Bowl Games of KU Football Past. We're actually going to do two today because I was looking at the schedule and Things are going to get a little weird here. Did you so. do your math wrong on 12 days of bowl? Well, no, we do have 12 days, but one thing that I failed to realize is that the show on Wednesday is don't, going we to We don't be, have one. Cause it's, cause the, well, the show wins. No, no, like tomorrow, Wednesday. Oh. We do have one, but it's going to be a short show that we're out of five for Hawk Talk with Ray Bouchard and then women's basketball coverage of 545. And then on Thursday, we're out of 430 for pregame of the Harvard. Ah. So we're running out of time. And then the following Tuesday, I'm not going to want to do like four of those in the same day. So, oh, that's fair. That's you know, fair. We'll do two today. Uh, but we'll also have Kevin Flaherty later this hour. We have a very enticing, hey, what's going on over there? Uh, if you've been paying attention on social media at all, there is this like Chiefs super fan thing going on, which second straight year that this has happened. This one very different <laughs> than last year, though. Uh, Nick, why don't you take this away? All right. Hey, what's going on over there? Chief Superfan Edition. So as Derek teased, there is a man on Twitter known as Chiefsaholic on Twitter. Chief Superfan. Uh, he's known via social media as, Ch- as Chiefsaholic. Or if you've watched Chiefs games on TV or if you've been to Chiefs games, you may have seen this man 
he dresses as a wolf and a wolf a full wolf costume with chiefs chiefs hat chiefs everything chiefs so that's this is what he is known for chiefsaholic on twitter he's a very active social media presence and he attends almost all chiefs games home and away dressed as a wolf well some other media social media savvy chiefs fans became worried over the weekend when Chiefsaholic appeared to disappear off Twitter, and he was not seen at the Houston Texans game, which he had previously tweeted that he was going to attend. So, over the weekend, some Chiefs fans became concerned, and they began trying to figure out, hey, is Chiefsaholic okay? What's wrong with him? You know, where's he at? We haven't seen him. He's, he's normally very active on Twitter. Normally, I mean, it's hard to miss a guy dressed in a wolf costume at a stadium, right? <laughs> so, some social media Chiefs fans became worried. And after some super sleuthing by other Chiefs fans, it was determined that Chiefsaholic is perfectly fine. In a jail cell. Whoa. That's right. Man, it turns out Chiefsaholic, a.k.a. Xavier Babador. I believe it's how you pronounce his name. not a real name. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. <laughs> Let me double check this. Is his last name Babador? Uh, yeah, B-A-B-D-A-B-A-B-U-D-A-R. Babudar. Xavier hmm. Babadar. A lot of letters. AKA Chief Zaholic was arrested Friday morning for armed robbery of a bank in Bixby, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of a suburb of Tulsa. With bond set at $200,000 for this man. So, this is according to the uh, this is from earlier today from Channel 2 News in Oklahoma. Quote, Bixby police identified a man who was accused of robbing a local bank last week. Around 9.35 a.m. on December 16th, Friday, before the Chiefs game on Sunday, Bixby police responded to an armed robbery happening at the Tulsa Teachers Credit Union near 131st Memorial. An eyewitness called in to report the robbery to the police and gave the description of the suspect and the direction he fled. After officers arrived, they set up a perimeter in a nearby neighborhood where they caught the suspect trying to escape with a weapon and, quote, large amount of cash on hand. Mm-hmm. There were no physical injuries to bank employees or witnesses reported. Bixby police later identified the suspect as Xavier Michael Babadar, a.k.a. Chiefsaholic. But there's more to this story. Chiefsaholic is not only a very active social media Twitter presence, he's also very active in other ways, using significant amounts of money. This is where it gets really interesting to me. Some Chiefs fans on Twitter may recall a man who placed a $1,000 bet on Jody Fortson to score a touchdown a couple months ago, and it hit for $18,000. That man was Chiefsaholic. Mm. Just two weeks ago, or actually just last week, Chiefsaholic placed a $5,000 wager on Patrick Mahomes to win the MVP to pay out $45,000. Now, you may be asking yourself, where is Chiefsaholic getting all this money? Well, Chiefsaholic himself has tweeted multiple times. This is the most interesting one. Quote, I hustle in private, playing with house money TBH. More like you stole money from a bank and you're using it to bankroll your betting. <laughs> Which honestly, it's kind of, I don't know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say genius, but like you're you're stealing money and then you're you're using it on gambling so that 
it's harder to like it's one thing if you just steal the money and put it in your account then all of a sudden the irs is gonna be like well where did that come from you put it into a gambling account yeah so so and then you win money and you're like well see, alle- I just won this allegedly bet. the fbi is involved and now there are serious questions about whether this man has been a serial bank robber to essentially bankroll his chief's fandom while also gambling on the chiefs here's another tweet from chiefsaholic this was from december 13th so Four, three days before the arrest, three days before the alleged bank bank robbery in, in Bixby, Oklahoma. Quote, after graduating from KSU in 2016, I was working a warehouse job making $12 an hour. Today, I manage multiple warehouses throughout the Midwest region. I'm making an excellent living. Hard work pays off and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. End quote. <laughs> hard work. Well, I mean, in one sense, it is hard work. I'm, I'm sure it is hard work to rob a bank. You know, I'm not imploring it. Please don't do that. Um, yeah. That, so okay. So how does this work from a from a gambling standpoint? If you're if you're a casino, and yeah, it's uh, the, yeah. There's a lot of ethical questions that that come yeah. involved here. And, and in fact, to the to your point, Derek, there's actually even more. Xavier Babador, aka Chiefsaholic, attended a Patrick Mahomes charity event recently and bought a painting from that event. And now there are questions about what kind of money was used to purchase said painting. Oh, man, that's tough. So, yeah, what what happens here? Like for the casino, for instance, are they able to sue him and be like, hey, we want the money back because that money was not yours to bet. And then from the charity event, like does the charity have to give the money back? That sucks. Earlier this I season, hope that doesn't have to happen. Earlier this season, Chiefs, Chiefsaholic also tweeted that he had placed an $80,000 money line bet on a Chiefs game earlier this season that one lost i think too that one was i believe was against the bills it might have been so chief saholic consistently tweeted has consistently tweeted about his his gambling of on the chiefs has utilized significant sums of money to gamble on the chiefs and or do other things in the community involving the chiefs has tweeted out consistently about working hard and how hard work pays off but uh, it appears as though he may have been not what he appeared to be. Yeah, and, and the fact that he's using all these road Chiefs games to basically go on the road and yeah. So uh, again, I, some of the some some of the stuff on yeah, Twitter it's, a, it's, a it's uh, right now. unsubstantiated. Yeah. But basically, the the theory is that this man may have been essentially driving or however he was traveling to Chiefs road games and then essentially just stopping on the way, randomly robbing banks to then bankroll his trips to Chiefs games and whatnot, and also to to utilize that also as a gambling aspect as well. It's just crazy, and he does a bunch of, like, giveaways on Twitter, so, like, some of it is, yeah, know, it's easy to give something away if I'm getting, like, free money from a bank, and then you're just buying these jerseys and giving them away to gain popular. This is insane, and the fact that he hadn't been caught up until now, if all that other stuff is true, now maybe... Yeah, so this knows. has been picked up quite a bit. Pat McAfee talked about it on his show today. Basically uh, saying, this is a guy who is like a almost like a modern day Bonnie and Clyde situation where this guy was just driving around robbing banks just to pay for his love of the Chiefs. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a very fascinating story, and there was so there was some some bank security camera images that showed a man in a wolf mask robbing a bank, but. Uh, if you see those, that's actually not from the Bixby robbery. That's from a different robbery that happened six years ago. That was circulating around. People thought that that was actually him uh, robbing the bank in the same wolf mask that he wears to the games, 
which that does not appear to be the case. But still an incredibly wild story of a man who was widely beloved by Chiefs fans. And like I said, this this actually this whole situation actually started as Chiefs fans concerned about this man's well-being. That was what started the whole thing. Yeah. Is that nobody had heard from him. Nobody had seen him on Sunday at the game. It all began as a, hey, we just want to make sure this guy's okay. Well, it turns out he's perfectly fine. He was just in jail. This is yeah. This is absolutely wild, and uh, I'm waiting for. I mean, this is back to back years now that the Chiefs have had a super yep. fan go down with something. So, yep. Uh, yep. Who's next, man? Nah. Who's next? I don't know. Well, wait. I guess. Does this mean there is an opening for Chiefs super fans? Like, do they need more super fans to fill in for the ones they've lost? Well, I mean, or do you they take just, that? Or they just? Will you take that? Do they role? just leave the vacancy unfilled? I mean, no, you can't leave it unfilled. But who wants to be the next guy that fills in after the guy was a bank robber? I mean, that that gives you kind of a low bar, doesn't it? I, yeah, I guess depending on how you look at it. I mean, yeah. Just like, just don't be a criminal. Yeah, just don't commit felonies. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. Yeah, again, obviously, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But <laughs> right. uh, it, this man is, is currently being held on a $200,000 bond. It's just crazy, too, because I'm, I'm sure, like, if the FBI is, like, tracking all these bank robberies and they're trying to, like, figure out what's the pattern Exactly, here. yeah. So so that, so basically some people have took to Twitter and, and have tried to calculate, okay, when were Chiefs road games and were there bank robberies within reasonable travel distance of where the Chiefs were playing at, essentially? And is there any connection potentially? Because, again, like, obviously this is this is the alleged bank robbery that that's – Chief Zaholic was was arrested for right in Bixby, Oklahoma, but obviously he's been bankrolling slash flaunting a lot of money on social media for quite a while right now, right? So it's 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 hard to believe that this would be this is the first bank he's attempted to rob. Does that make sense? Yes. So obviously there that means at at one point there must have been others that he had robbed in order to 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 finance his trips to the see the Chiefs or whatever or. Gambling on the Chiefs. He's Nick Springer. So it's a wild story. Hey, what's going on over there? Chiefs Super Fan Edition. I'm Derek Johnson. More uh, KU Bowl Game Talk next. This is RCST. <laughs> Kevin Flaherty will join the show in less than 20 minutes from right now with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We uh, continue on with our... Bowl games of KU football passed. We're going to do two of them on this edition. We uh, will have the first two bowl games of the Mark Mangino era. The first was the 2003 Tangerine Bowl. KU had zero winning seasons between the 1995 Aloha Bowl and the 2003 Tangerine Bowl. Mark Mangino had just taken over in 2002. They won two games in 2002, and then they jumped up. To make it a bowl game. Does that sound okay. kind of familiar? That does sound kind of familiar, actually. Yeah. Uh, the Terry Allen era did not go well for KU. So, headed into 2003, Kansas again coming off a two-win season. It's like, ah, oh, let's see what we're building here um, under uh, Mark Mangino. And they start out the season playing Northwestern. And they lose 28-20. to So, not like a, a great sign of like, oh, things are going to be a lot better this year, right? <laughs> Uh, then they beat UNLV though, forty-six to twenty-four. There we go. They went at Wyoming, forty-eight 
42-35. to Beat Jacksonville State, 41-6. to So now they're rolling a bit. They're 3-1 uh, and one headed into the conference slate of the season. And they get, this is so weird. They played Missouri in their conference opener. Really? That is weird. Yeah, and that Missouri team ended up being pretty good. They ended up going 8-4 and four in the regular season before they lost in the Independence Bowl to Arkansas. And Missouri was ranked 23rd at the time. Kansas beat them 35-14. to 14. That sucks, Missouri. That was kind of the introduction to the Mark Mangino era, it sort of feels like. Okay. Um, they did lose the next game at Colorado in a high-scoring shootout, 50-47. to 47. Oof. Then they beat Baylor 28-21. to 21. So now they're sitting at 5-2 uh, and two on the season. They then go on a... And you're sitting there, it, kind of similar to this year. You're sitting with five wins. You're like, okay, we're so close to bowl eligibility. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> they lose to Kansas State, 42-6. to six. Dang it. They lose at Texas A&M, 45-33. to 33. Okay. They lose to number 19, Nebraska, 24-3. to three. Okay. And then they lose at Oklahoma State, 44-21. to 21. That's a tough stretch, though. It is, though. But Texas like, A&M, Nebraska. You're sweating it out. And fortunately, this year, we didn't have to come to the same point that that team did where they got to a point where it was do or die. They were 5-6. and six. Okay, It came yeah. down to the last game. And they beat Iowa State 36-7. to seven. That's crushed Iowa State. So they make a bowl game. Well, and they no, go people six people six. forget Iowa State was a team that was almost as bad as Kansas was for a stretch. Yeah, I was and Baylor, Baylor too. Yeah, and then they got Matt Campbell, and they've been pretty good since then. But yes, but yeah, they went yeah, two I and mean, 10, ten that year. Ten, twelve. This was you know I guess this was I guess almost twenty years ago. But you know, 12, 15 years ago, Iowa State was a team that was kind of one of those perennial bottom bottom dwellers of the of the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. So uh, they end up going 6-6. Six and six. They get invited to the Tangerine Bowl, which was the first bowl invite since 1995. And on the season, Kansas actually gave up more points than, than they scored, but it was very close. 29.5 points per game, 30.5 points allowed. But that makes sense. You're a 6-6 six six team. You're going to be right around there. Uh, led by Bill Whittemore at quarterback. Great dual-threat quarterback, former JUCO transfer. He had uh, nearly 3,000 total yards, 28 total touchdowns. He had Clark Green on that team, a running back who was really good as a receiving receiving back too. John Randall, uh, Nick Reed, Banks Floodman, two-way star and Charles Gordon on both ends of the field. Those are some of the notable players on that team. They took on NC State in the Tangerine Bowl. How about the announcing team that called that game? Mike Tirico was the play-by-play guy. Now he does Sunday Night Football. Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, and doc, I, I don't even know. The sideline analyst was a doctor. Dr. Dr. Jerry Punch. You don't, remember, you don't remember Jerry Punch? No, I don't. I remember him vaguely. But how about you had Mike Tirico, Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, and, and yeah. Dr. Jerry Punch. That's great. Yeah. Uh, the bowl game did not go well for KU. NC State came into it ranked 24th in the country. They were 7-5. and five, And uh, Charles Gordon got a 23-yard pass from Bill Whittemore early to tie it at 7. Um, it was 21-10. to 10. NC State got a touchdown with under a minute left in the half. KU made it close again. Bill Whittemore to Clark Green, 11 yards out. is 28-17 in the third quarter. And then NC State just kind of put pedal to the metal from there. Whoa. They ended up winning 56-26. to All right, quick side note here. Mm-hmm. I just looked up the Dr. Jerry Punch. His real name is not Jerry. Oh, what's his real name? It's Gerald, which I guess is close to Jerry. Yeah, close enough. Gerald? Sure, we'll give it to you. Really? 
I don't know. Why not? Okay, fine. Jerry Gerald's. That sounds close enough to me. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I guess it's close. Um, so in the game, NC State had over 650 yards of offense. Philip Rivers may have heard of him. Quarterback for NC State, 475 passing yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh, after the game, he's like on the field doing his interview, like with one of his kids <laughs> at the time. <laughs> How many does he have now? Ah, like uh, something like that. It's a very high number. <laughs> that was kind of the start of it. Um, I didn't realize they had Jericho Cotchery too. He had 13 wow, catches a, for 171 yards. It's kind of a good team. Yeah, very good team. So Kansas got blown out, but the bigger deal was they they made it to a bowl game. You just hope that this year, again, if we're if we're looking at the path, two win team goes to a bowl game, then gets blown out in the bowl. You hope that 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 part of it doesn't repeat with this but year. But that team. NC State team was seven and five. Yeah, and Arkansas six and six. So you know, different era too um, for Arkansas. Yeah, Philip Rivers obviously went on to big things. The bowl game itself got changed to the Champ Sports Bowl from the Tangerine Bowl the following year. Oh, so KU was a part of the last ever yeah. Tangerine Bowl. That's right, ever in recorded history. So now we go on to our second one, which is two years my, later. I want that on my gravestone. <laughs> the KU 2000- football last ever in recorded history, ever Tangerine Bowl, the two thousand five Fort Worth Bowl. So after 03, Kansas goes 4 and 7 in 2004, and they bounce back in what was Mark Mangino's fourth year at the helm in 2005. So that season you're coming in, you beat Florida Atlantic 30 to 19, Appalachian State which at the time was still FCS, you beat them 36 to 8, and then you down Louisiana Tech 34 to 14. So you're sitting at 3 and 0. You're like, "Okay, we made it through uh oh, Wow, Kansas beat Appalachian State and not even Michigan could do that." I know. You made it through the non-con here. Let's see what we can do in conference play. They play at number 16, Texas Tech, which at the time was, I believe, coached by Mike Leach. Yeah, they were. That Tech team ended up being good. They went 9-3 and three that year. 9-2 and two in the regular season before they lost in the Cotton Bowl to Alabama. Um, we're ranked 16th at the time. KU plays them pretty close. It's 30-17, to 17, so you're not, like, overly disappointed even in yeah. a loss there. Yeah. Uh, the next week, they've at Kansas State, and they lose 12-3. to three. Yeah, that just sounds ugly. Yeah, that sounds very ugly. And what's even uglier is the even next week. So Kansas sitting at three and two. They're they're losing two straight games. They're playing Oklahoma at home. Kansas had ninety seven total yards of offense, <laughs> and they lost nineteen to three. So now you have some questions about the offense. Kansas has scored six points the last two weeks. They've lost three straight games, and it doesn't get much better. They play at Colorado and they lose forty four to thirteen. Yeesh. So now they're three and four. And it's like, ah, I don't know. This yeah. isn't really working out too well. You're in year four of a head coach. You're like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. But they beat Missouri. Well, that sucks, Missouri. 13-3. to three. There we go. Season back on track. Yep. And now you're wondering, like, is that, can always is count that on, going to get it back on track? You can always count on Missouri to kickstart KU. <laughs> Very next week, you play Nebraska. And this is a team that, at the time, Kansas has not beaten in 37 years. They beat them 40-15. to 15. Oh. So that is about as big of a win in the Mangino yeah. era as you I could do. have. Yeah, you're totally back. So now they're five and four. Unfortunately, the next week they had to play at number two Texas, who that Texas team ended up winning that, the title. Yeah, Vince Young. Yes, that was the Vince Young year, and uh, this is wild. So that Kansas defense that season was fantastic. No team put up more than 380 yards against Kansas in a game, except for Texas. Texas put up 617 (laughs) 
Everybody else had 380 or less. Kansas lost 66 to 14. <laughs> so now they're sitting at five and five, and that puts all the pressure on your last game. You're playing Iowa State at home. And there was the recent uh, article in The Athletic where they talked to the uh, AD at the time, and he was saying uh, if Kansas lost the game, like they were going to fire Mark Mangino. Oh. Which who would have known you know, what that would have done with the Orange Bowl year? You would just assume so it why, wouldn't have why are they only playing 11 games even in 2005? That's just how it was at the time. Oh, okay. Um, they played 12 games at that point. Fortunately for Kansas, they win against Iowa State 24-21. to They go bowling. They get invited to the Fort Worth Bowl. Because of that, Mark Mangino keeps his job, which eventually allows for the Orange Bowl a few years later. Uh, wild season for Kansas to go 6-5. and Their quarterbacks, Jason Swanson, Brian Luke, Adam Barman, they combined for 13 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. Yikes. Yeah, you went 6-5. and five. It's because Clark Green, John Cornish had over 1,400 rushing. Mark Simmons, Charles Gordon were good receivers. You had a studly defense. You have just 22 points per game. Nick Reed was the Big 12 player of the year defensively. Kevin Kane, Bakes Flood, Floodman were good linebackers. Uh, Charlton Keith and Brandon, Perks, that's, uh, Brandon Perkins, that's about one of the best defensive end duos that you have had. They had a combined 17 sacks, and then you had like Charles Gordon and Aqib Tlaib in the secondary. Very, very good defense for Kansas. So you get sent to the Fort Worth Bowl to take on a 6-5 and five Houston squad, which at the time was coached by Art Bryles. And uh, he ended up shortly after that leaving for the Baylor job. Um. But Kansas just blew him out. 42-13 to 13 was the final. Jason Swanson was named MVP. Kansas got up on an 85-yard punt return by Brian Murph to get him going. Uh, John Cornish caught back-to-back touchdown passes from Jason Swanson with a Houston touchdown in between. It was actually kind of a close game. It was 21-13 to 13 with about eight minutes left in the third. And then KU scored 21 unanswered. You had a 32-yard touchdown pass to Mark Simmons from Jason Swanson. 14-yard pick six from Charlton Keith. I'm sure for a lot of people that's the play that really sticks out. And then Brian Murph capped it off with a touchdown, 48-yard receiving score. Kansas did it with everything. Defense touchdown, special teams touchdown. You out-yarded them 538 to 244. Um, You had a, a bunch of rushing yards from John Cornish, over 100. You had Three different receivers, over 70 receiving yards for Kansas. Just an all-around game, beatdown of Kevin Cobb, and Kansas got their first bowl win in a decade. Let's go, Kansas. Yeah. So the aftermath of that, math of that the bowl was later renamed and is now the Armed Forces Bowl. Was it right after this bowl? I don't know on that okay. one. And then, Dude, uh, imagine they're in the last ever Tangerine Bowl and the last ever. First of all, I'm glad they renamed it. Dude, having a bowl just named for whatever city it's played in, that's stupid. That's literally the dumbest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't be any more creative than that. Oh, we're going to go play in the Fort Worth Bowl. Oh, yeah, where are you playing at? Oh, Fort Worth. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> I'm glad they renamed it. Well, as, as much as the 2003 team maybe got the Mangino era started, this team was the, the one that was the nucleus for the Orange Bowl team. I mean, it, it kept Mark Mangino around at yep. the position – uh, obviously, certain players like Nick Reed weren't around by them, but you know that's like the start of Akib Talib or uh, some of your different players on the team. So uh, we'll get to the Orange Bowl game on, I don't know, maybe our Tuesday show along with the Insight Bowl that same year as we finish up our bowl games of KU football past. We're going to switch gears. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, is going to join us on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> 
Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. I guess I'll start here. I uh, had Matt Tate on with the show earlier, and we came up with a list of uh, the 10 best, I don't know, not necessarily the 10 best, that might be the wrong way of putting it, but coming up with a team of 10 players of Bill Self-era players to build the best defense. I don't know if you saw the list. I can read it off to you. Let me know if you, if you think we missed anyone or if you just agree completely and you think I'm a very smart person. Um, so the list would be uh, at center, we, we put three guys on the team, Jeff Withy, Yudoka Azubuki, Cole Aldridge. I know it would be tough to ever play two of them at once, but gives you some big man depth. Uh, kind of lead guard guys, Dewan Harris, Russell Robinson, Jeff Hawkins, and then kind of your guard wing types, Marcus Garrett, Kevin McCuller, Brandon Rush, Travis Relaford. What did we miss? Uh, honestly, I, I think the one of the freakiest defenders that Self had, he didn't even know what he was doing, was Joel Embiid. You know, if you, I, I always think back, you know, when you think about Embiid, I, I feel like when you watched him at Kansas, the thing that jumped out the most was the growth curve, right? Like, there was the game that Kansas lost, I think against San Diego State, where they sent, like, the big-to-big doubles, and you were kind of like, ah, you know, Joel Embiid just doesn't have, like, the experience dealing with these kinds of doubles and stuff. I'm not sure, you know, it's just something you see from a young guy. And what was it, like, a week or two later, he was maybe the best big man passer in the entire Big 12. (laughs) And, And so the thing that always stood out to me about Embiid was the way that he just utterly destroyed George Niang and a guy that that really gave Kansas obviously a lot of problems over the years. And you you look at at how much he struggled in that game, and he pulled Embiid away from the basket, and Embiid was athletic enough not just to to play away from the basket. But also, when Niang would, would get by him on the drive, he was athletic enough to recover and challenge a shot at the rim. And so, I think as an upside guy, I would probably take him over over Cole Aldrich if you're building this team. I think Withy may be the best defensive big man that Self has had. I think, obviously, Yudoka Azubuki gives you more bulk and the ability to deal with with a lot of more powerful guys, and he was so good in that drop coverage. But I think if you're picking a third big man, you know, there's a little bit of redundancy there with uh, Cole Aldrich, even as good a shot blocker as he was, and Yudoka Azubuki. And I think that I would probably go with Joel Embiid just for the, let's say you're playing against Baylor last year, we all saw what Jeremy Sohan kind of did because Kansas didn't have that kind of matchup guy. I think Joel Embiid is a guy that you could have thrown out there as a freshman even, and even though he might not have known what he was doing, uh, I think he, he would improve your defense drastically in sort of situations where he could be out there. Well, what kind of got us started on this conversation was the the great defensive duo that Kansas has with Kevin McCuller and Dewan Harris right now. Would it be, I, I guess, how crazy would it be to try to start an argument that Kevin McCuller is just as good as a defender as Marcus Garrett was? 
I think it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no offense to Kevin McCuller. I think he's a tremendous defender. I think you're not you're, you're not giving the, the Kevin name very good uh, hype here. <laughs> I, I I think when you look at wing defenders in the Bill Self era, you know Kevin McCuller would be you know one of your best wing defenders in the Self era. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think when you look at Marcus Garrett, you just lose wing and you just say, hey, this guy's probably the best defender that Bill Self has had. When you look at at a guy who was so dominant against Oklahoma, remember he had, what, four steals in the first half? And so Lon Kruger basically had Brady Manning play the second half from the fifth row of the stands just so that Marcus Garrett would stop taking the ball from the other four guys. And, and, you know, when you look at stuff like that, when you look at the fact that Marcus Garrett in back-to-back games defended Derek Culver at West Virginia and then Tyrese Halliburton at Iowa State, and just the ability to defend point guards to give them so many issues and yet also defend, you know, three or four other positions, the way that he did it, the quickness, the instincts, all of those different things – it's funny. I, I was building a best, a college basketball best defensive team for the last decade. I think I did it last year, and it, it was kind of interesting because I, I think Davion Mitchell from Baylor and Marcus Garrett both made it, uh, and, and Marcus Garrett was was a starter on that team. And one of the arguments for him being a starter was. There are a lot of guys that make destructive defensive plays. There are a lot of guys that are really good at shadowing good offensive talents. I think Brandon Rush was a guy that you could put on somebody, you know, who was a good wing scorer and he was going to give that guy a lot of trouble because he shadowed him. There are relatively few people who can switch on to such a wide range of positions and even fewer who can do all that while also making those destructive defensive plays. And while Kevin McCullough is really good and, and has a chance to be one of the best defenders in college basketball this year, I just, I look at, at Marcus Garrett and I think when you look at what he did and how well he did it, uh, he may be the, the best defender at Kansas in my lifetime. And, you know, you look back to, you know, I Darnell Valentine was a little ahead of my time, but I think that you're going to hear people in our generation kind of talking about Marcus Garrett 20 years from now, the way people who were, you know, 20 years older than I am talk about Darnell Valentine and how much he used to shut down people back in the day. Well, we're one game away from Big 12 play right now, and Kansas certainly been rolling over the past four games here. Um, just based on what we've seen so far from the season and, and comparing Kansas to maybe some of the other top teams nationally, how would you kind of evaluate them versus some of those other top teams? And, and is there a certain type of matchup or, or team, I guess, down the road that you think might be most problematic for them? You know, it's it's really difficult to evaluate them against other teams. And I'm not trying to dodge it at all. I'm just, I feel like both Missouri and Indiana the, the last two times we've seen Kansas and we've seen Kansas just run away from somebody and you want to say, oh man, like what a special performance, you know, hey, that looked like a top five team, whatever. I think both of those results kind of said a lot about the team that Kansas played 
as much as it did about Kansas. And, and so I think that's sort of the tricky thing for me. I think, like we said last week, heading in, I, I do think it was a very good indicator that Kansas was able to, to go out there with K.J. Adams and, and not lose anything. And they were able to send their doubles and, and do different things. And and they weren't – it wasn't like K.J. Adams got played off the floor by a really – good big man. I, I thought Zuby Ejiofor gave the team some really good minutes. I still wonder a little bit about this team if you go up against, you know, sort of the hyper-athletic teams with length. You know, you, you put them against some of the best teams in the country. You know, the Alabama, uh, not Gonzaga, sorry, uh, UConn, some of those teams like that, I wonder a little bit. It's hard to compare anybody to Purdue because nobody has a matchup for Zach Eady. But at the same time, I, I think Kansas is kind of trending in a similar way to last year's team. And that, you know, we're sitting here at this point in the year. I don't think last year at this point you would have said, hey, Kansas is the best team in the country. You might not have even said Kansas is the best team in the country when KU was even in the Final Four. But I still think that it's a team that you look at it and you say, if the tournament falls to them, if they avoid some of the teams that maybe do cause the really difficult matchups, Arkansas is going to be another one I feel like to to watch as they continue to blend and come together. If they avoid some of those teams, it's a team that could maybe make another deep run and potentially win another title. The problem is, is you know, two years ago, as we saw, that USC team was probably about as bad a matchup for that team as as you could have seen. They got them in the second round and probably went out really hard. I don't think this team is quite as vulnerable as that team, but I do think that it's a team that maybe is a little bit more matchup-reliant as opposed to some Kansas teams we've seen in the past, like, say, 2019-2020, where you're looking at every team across the country and you're saying, okay, I feel really good about our chances on any given day. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports here on RCST. Switching over to some KU football as Jayhawks getting ready for Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, the Arkansas defense has been kind of up and down this season. They've had some games that they've really given up uh, a lot to the other team, and they're going to be without two key linebackers, Bumper Pool and Drew Sanders, who could be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. H- how favorable of a matchup is this for Kansas on that end, and in what ways can they really exploit them? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good, it's a pretty favorable matchup, and I, you know, that linebacker group, they had their moments this year, but like you said, they weren't you know, terribly consistent. And I think that the one thing that Andy Kotelnicki does sort of exceptionally well as an offensive coordinator is mess with your eye control, right? Your eye discipline where he's going to, you know, hand the ball off here. He's going to make you look over there. And then the ball is going the other way on the end around and things like that. And one of the fun things about, you know, having bowl prep and, and all of those different things is Andy Kotelnicki's got time to, to, you know, sort of get into the toy box and find if there's anything else he wants to run. And so on one hand, Arkansas has a year's worth of tape and they can say, hey, you know, the stuff that Kansas ran against Houston, we're not going to fall for that. But the flip side of that is, is Andy Kotelnicki also has the stuff from the Houston game and says, okay, if you're going to keep your eyes glued on us on this thing, then we're going to beat you over here. And so 
I do think it's it's an advantageous matchup for Kansas. I think if you're watching this game going in, you know, I realize that when you have a month off, sometimes offenses can be a little bit sloppier just because they they don't have that rhythm. But the flip side of that is is I think both Arkansas and Kansas probably have quite a bit to like about their offenses against the respective defenses that they're facing. On the other side of the ball, maybe a little bit scary for the KU defense is that we've certainly seen some teams run kind of all over them, especially down the home stretch here. And Arkansas is a dual threat quarterback. They've got a running back who had over 1,400 rushing yards. They got a big offensive line, though their center opted out of the game. What's kind of the realistic expectation? Like, what what do you think would make for what you would consider a good game? Like, uh, uh, grading it against the curve for this Kansas defense against a good Arkansas offense. Yeah, I think I think for me, even more than what – looking at the curve, like you said, I, more than Kansas shutting down Arkansas, more than saying, hey, you want to hold them to 3.5 yards of carry or whatever else, I think I want to see some variation from the Jayhawks. And, and I don't know – you know, obviously Kansas, you know, kept things sort of in pocket defensively over the course of the year. Generally speaking, you know, they – they kind of did what they did, but at the same time, you're you're heading into a bowl game. Coaches talk all the time about how college football is basically three seasons, right? You have the season opener, which you can prepare for for six months. You've got all the tape in the world. You can hide things. You can do whatever you want. Then you have the regular season, conference title game, you know, everything on a week's time except for, you know, when you have the bye week and you have two weeks. And then you have the bowl game where you've got a month's prep. You can decide, hey, we're going to attack these teams differently. I, I think that's what I'm interested to see the most from By- Brian Borland, excuse me, in this game is – does Kansas sit back and play quarters and play relatively, you know, conservatively and do things the way that they have all year long and just sort of say, Hey, we're going to expect you to, to make a mistake if you have to take 11 plays or 14 plays to go down the field? Or do we see them mix in some things that maybe they haven't shown before to give KJ Jefferson some things that to, to think about that he didn't see on tape. Are, are they going to send more blitzes? Are they going to mix in some different looks? I, I think that's more what I'm looking for, especially since you consider that Kansas can return a lot of guys from this defense next year. I'm interested to see if it's a trust thing where he says, okay, we've, we've done this all year. Let's execute a game plan and run things a little bit differently against Arkansas this week. Well, kind of adding to the intrigue of the game, I, I don't know how much the fans will, will get into it with this, but uh, Jaden Ham was committed to Arkansas and then decommitted, sure. picked Kansas. So I guess two-part question here. One, how big of a pickup is that for KU? And two, does Kansas have a top 10 tight end group on paper in the country next season? Yeah, I think that they probably do, depending on on what Mason Fairchild's decision is. Has he made that yet? No, but I think the kind of assumption has kind of been that he is going to come back. I don't think he celebrated senior day. It seems like it's leaning that way, but nothing has become official. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss it. You know, when you you look at at him, when you look at, at Jared Casey, if Trevor Cardell comes back, you know, he's... He's somebody that was a little banged up at times this year and had some things going. And, you know, obviously in the past, he, 
he's been a starter. And so having three starting quality tight ends like that, I'm probably forgetting somebody. There's Tavita Noah. I'm still aboard the the Will Huggins hype train. (laughs) There there you go. But, you know, Jaden Ham is a guy that's going to take him a little while, I think. And he's he's somebody that we had a chance to see in person multiple times. As a matter of fact, you know, we kind of wanted to see how fluid the kid was. And so we uh, we made a made a couple calls, sent a few DMs, and right in the middle of track season, you know, he went out to the Eudora football field, and we watched him catch passes on air for an hour. And so he's a guy that, you know, we're incredibly familiar with, seeing him in person. At that time, you know, he had offers from, I think, Penn State, Michigan. He looked kind of like a, a future Big Ten tight end in terms of the big frame. He doesn't have problems blocking guys. Like, he has that mentality to him. His senior year wasn't quite as good as his junior year. And, you know, you can look at a lot of different factors or, or reasons why that might be. But at the same time, a lot of times when that happens, you know, it's a guy getting bored, you know, different things. They've already got their scholarships, and you see them bounce back at the college level. Dominique Orange was a guy from Kansas City this past year, had offers from Georgia, you know, as a sophomore and people like that. His senior year wasn't quite as good. And then he played as a true freshman at Iowa State. And so I, I think Jaden's still got some – some work to do in terms of filling out his body, getting where he needs to be to be a tight end in Kansas's offense, where they want you to block as well as catch passes and get down the field. But I do think, you know, Jaden's a, a fairly high ceiling guy that if he buys into the strength and conditioning program and, and everything else, Kansas could get a tight end on the other side who has the, the frame and the strength and everything to do the blocking stuff they want to do while also being a major threat down the field and, and in a lot of different route combinations. And so this is a big get for Kansas. And when you come, when you add him to Calvin Clements, all of a sudden a, a Kansas class where you say, hey, this is a generational class. This is the best class at least in the last 20 years of Kansas talent. Kansas isn't getting any top 10 guys. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling to Kansas getting two of the top 10 players in the class and in Clements in particular, getting one of the guys at a huge need position. And so getting Jaden Ham is a really big deal from that standpoint as well. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work with 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. Kevin, appreciate the time as always. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty. Again, check out all his work. Always love catching up with Kevin. With uh, Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST.